This week, we are joined by a very special guest, Carmel Richardson, contributing editor at the American Conservative, to discuss the alarming amount of American real estate, especially farmland, owned or controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. We ask, is it really the United States of America if foreigners own the land, or are we just renting from foreign landlords? Gary then reveals some new legislation in Tennessee that was filed to address this very issue, and he tells us about the upcoming legislative session and what you can do to encourage the General Assembly to protect your liberties. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Look at that, Gary. What are we looking at in the screen there? You know that? That looks powerful. Looks like a group of folks ready to kick some butt. A little aircraft carrier. Little. Some, some, bat- <laughs> some battleships. All right, so. I like it. So why are we starting with Danger Zone today, do you think? We always like to start with a quiz. It, I'm, I'm assuming it has something to do with this really large book I see on the table called The uh, Index of Military Strength. Well, uh, so circuitously yes but do you know by the way what uh, aircraft carrier strike group that was that we looked at on the screen uh no i do not i'll give you a hint it's my favorite one in all of the u.s navy well there's no uh i would imagine there's nothing called like the uss pittsburgh or anything like that <laughs> that would the, be the, great the u.s goal horn for that the uss penguin <laughs> no <laughs> That's great, Gary. I, I, I so appreciate the fact that you know our family so well that you would even offer that. No, it's the USS Ronald Reagan. Okay. But in in, in light of the uh, the fact that the Ronald Reagan was not used in Top Gun, do you know which aircraft carriers were filmed or used for the films of Top Gun, both Man, the first one and I, the second one? And you know, I just saw uh, Maverick, which was awesome, but uh, no. Right, so they, they filmed on two aircraft carriers for that one. Do you know which? No. Any guesses? No. Former president. I mean, I've been on the presidents. Uh, I've been on the one parked down there in Alabama. That's pretty cool. So the two. That's, about it. That's all I got, man. So the two aircraft carriers that were used for Top Gun Maverick were the USS Abraham Lincoln and the USS Roosevelt. Do you know which one was used in primarily used in um, the first one? No. Guesses? No. Enterprise. <laughs> USS Enterprise. But still, that picture of the strike force. One more quiz question. There's a USS we'll type... Enterprise? Well, it's, it's not anymore. There was. Okay. Yeah, there was for years. Isn't it was, built, like, it was that, built in 1950. Isn't that Star Trek? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Just checking. They actually brought that out of, it was getting ready to be retired, and they brought it back at 9-11, after 9-11, and they advanced into the Middle East to to confront that issue. Uh, one more quiz question. That's awesome. <laughs> Is that my granddaughter I hear in the background? <laughs> yes. well, that gave that gave a hint as to our next guest. <laughs> we'll come up with this in just a minute. That was great. Um, yeah, we have a very special guest, including a very young one. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Gary, where is the USS Ronald Reagan currently today? Where is that battle group? Somewhere in California? Japan. 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 All wow. Right. So, I know, it's just kind of trivia, right? Those are hard well, questions you, you to could ask when you're cl- not... Clearly, I know nothing about our military operations, it's kind which of, is unfortunate. <laughs> it's kind of unfair for me to throw those out. 
Uh, it would be like you asking me the details of specific legislation and which senator yeah, Kevin, is Kevin, tell me about SB3, <laughs> Kevin. I can't do it. What is that going to SB3 committee? SB3 sounds like a missile. <laughs> All right. So the reason I, I started with that is because we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about the topic of China. We usually put it into the China cabinet. We do it through the China closet because the cabinet's been too small. But the Chinese Navy, do you know, is now the largest navy in the world. Uh oh. Really? Well, do that's not surprising. Do you know how many ships they have? Man, I'm I'm going to take a guess here. Uh, boy, I'm trying to. How many ships would be big? Some two to five hundred. Three hundred forty. Okay. So okay. Do you know how many the United States has? So China's got three forty. Mm-hmm. With all the crap we've gone through, it's probably below three hundred. Yep. Two ninety eight. Man. So we used to have six hundred. Because, you know, the world is still... So how long has it taken us to go from 600 to 298? Uh, about 40 years. Reagan administration. We had 600 ships. And the argument that you get from the left and, and ever since the Obama administration is that, well, we don't need this many ships because we have a higher quality of ship. Mm. The problem with that argument is that any good military strategist understands that quantity mm -hmm. is always a type of well, yeah, quality. Yeah, because you still have to like outflank and whatnot, right? Exactly. Just like just as with if you have one aircraft carrier that can do everything, but they can take that aircraft carrier out, then you've got nothing. Right. But if you have twelve aircraft carrier exactly. groups, then while you're taking out one, the other one is launching the attack. And I would the, rather the those aircraft carriers have a little bit. Uh, less things they can do right in 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 the in preference to have more i mean yeah. that's really the point of it's, it's a crazy theory yeah and the the other the other problem well, is that they they know but the thing is they know this. they know exactly what what <laughs> they they're doing this. yes now that's just the ostensible argument yeah the other problem is that as our audience knows China has gotten its technology from us, either because we've given it to them in exchange for political donations back in the Clinton administration through the Obama years. They've stolen it from us while we've looked the other way. China, even 20 years ago, could not figure out how to build and float an aircraft carrier. And now they are building them faster than we are building ours. We're actually exchanging and taking aircraft carriers out of service in the U.S. So it's daunting, to say the least. And that's why I started with the Top Gun theme and the aircraft carrier on the board, although our audience couldn't see it, I thought you would enjoy. Well, I've got good news for you, though. Typically, from my experience, the Chinese copycats of our technology are usually fairly crappy. They are bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we experienced that in Ukraine. Yeah, maybe maybe they go they maybe they go to press the button to do whatever, and he goes, you know, <laughs> you know, the wheels on the initial Russian tanks that were rolling into Ukraine. This is not. I don't want to get into the Ukraine issue, but the tires were Chinese tires and they were all like going flat and popping. And yeah, back whenever I was in the beer industry and I had a brewery, you know, there was when you look at those big uh, steel brewing tanks, kind of the the model is the upper echelon is the German manufacturing. Then there's kind of U.S., Canada, and then there's China. <laughs> and of course, when you're a small craft brewer and you're starting out, the Chinese equipment it looks the same. It's just as big. It's got a vat, does all the same things. It's like a third of the price. And uh, of course, a lot, I never bought one. A lot of these guys were bringing these tanks into the breweries, and you know, the valve breaks, the seals bust, the welds break. And yeah, it's so anyway, I'm maybe 
I'm not too worried about those 340 ships right now based on my brewing experience. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's a good that's a good parlay into our uh, guest here today. So we have a special guest today. And as you heard a little hint before, our guest's name is Carmel Richardson. Despite the difference in last name, yes, she is my daughter, one of my six children. She's also the mother of my wife's and my first granddaughter, first grandchild. Carmel is contributing editor at the American Conservative. She received her bachelor's degree in political philosophy and journalism from Hillsdale College. And she comes from... I don't know, Carmel. The only thing I would disagree with, you'd say the greatest state in the Union, Tennessee, which we do love because we're from here. But I have to say right now, the greatest state in the Union is Florida. Florida. <laughs> All right. Well, it's Welcome not to Florida. The but... <laughs> so, Carmel, I asked you, and we thank you for coming on. I'm going to let Gary try to run an interview of you so it doesn't look like family favoritism. On, um, oh, please don't do that to on, me. I'm Carmel wrote getting, a, getting briefed right now. Well, Carmel wrote a fantastic article, and the reason I wanted to bring her on, it's an article called China in My Backyard, Simby, C-I-M-B-Y, kind of borrowing from the old phrase NIMBY, not in my backyard, which we've talked about um, Democrat politicians and politicians in general have done this, right? They'll talk about, we want to make a, a windmill farm provided it's not in my backyard. Mm -hmm. um, so you'd have John Kerry advocating the benefits and the superiority of windmills, but you would never find them anywhere around the John and, and Teresa Hines Kerry estate, right? Not in my backyard. So Carmel has played on those words, and she's written a great piece if you want to find it. It's in the American Conservative from December, mm, December what, 19th? But Carmel, welcome. 16th, December 16th. 16th. Carmel, welcome to the, the podcast. Thank you for taking time away from my granddaughter for a little bit to, um, to talk about this troubling, alarming issue of China either directly or indirectly owning more and more land, um, American land. Well, I mean, yeah, the, thank you for having me. Yeah, the first thing, I mean, just tell why why the big interest in in China. I mean, clearly you're you're spending some spending some time doing this research and digging in. Like, tell our audience what's what should we be concerned about primarily? Why are you digging into our China relationships here? Yeah, well, for me, it comes more from an interest in agriculture and food production, really. Um, so where that interest intersects with China is they are purchasing particularly not just land in general, but agriculture land. So land that's really good for farmland, particularly in Texas, um, arid land. And so that kind of intersected with my ongoing beat about food and protecting our food resources, our national ability to protect our food supply. Um, and that's great. I love that background. Excuse me. No, that's wonderful. See, we usually, we like to have that kind of real interaction so people know that we've not like edited out all of the... That's right. This is happening in real time. I, I share those concerns. My wife and I have been talking about that a lot lately about our food supply. We have, um, and we're, we're trying to figure that out personally, like how to wean ourselves off of the grocery store shelf, right? And we, in fact, we have a, some friends that, just down the road. I mean, as the crow flies from my house, literally maybe a mile and a half, and uh, they've got a small farm going, and they've got cattle and all that sort of stuff, and and which is exciting. And so, yeah, we're looking at how do we buy all of our meat 
locally, which I may actually be able to do now, like two miles down the street and all those sorts of things. So I was looking through your article, kind of refreshing my memory. Kevin, we talked about this a bit. I can't remember how many acres of farmland were in Tennessee. Ah, I'm glad you brought it up. So in Tennessee, there are 47 million acres, almost 48 million acres overall. Total. 10 million of those are farming. Wow. And we had a few hundred thousand of those in Williamson County. Yeah. uh, Like 200 or 300,000. Yeah, I think it's about 300,000. So you cite that in the United States, 35 million acres of our U.S. farmland is owned by foreign investors. Do you know roughly how much of that is China? Yes. So approximately 1%, which, you know, you hear that and you're like, well, that's not really that much. But, you know, there are other considerations on the table. Yeah, I guess that sort of leads into one of my main points, which is that Canada is often pointed out as kind of the counterpoint to this. While China only owns 1% of farmland, Canada owns 32%. But it's it's a question really of national security. What is Canada's interest with the United States versus what is China's interest with the United States? And when you look at the difference between those two things, then that 1% starts to really matter. And and didn't you say in your article too, I, I think a really good point that people don't realize is happening is that even though there are efforts now, we know we've talked about it on this program, Ron DeSantis in Florida we know that in Texas, you, you reference legislation in your article about Texas legislation proposed to address and to confront Chinese ownership of land. Which was Chip Roy, wasn't it? What, he introduced Chip, that. And, well, Chip did the one at the federal level. Federally, federally, yeah, that's then right. There's, there's a state um, right. representative or senator in Texas. Right. But talk about, Carmel, the how they hide the severity of this by buying smaller parcels, right, rather than just buying— if someone were to come in and say, I'm going to buy a million acres, mm-hmm. then that would alarm everyone, including <laughs> perhaps even the leftist politicians. But that's not how they're doing it, is it? Right. No, that's correct. So they are buying in small parcels. They're buying through you know, individuals or you know, groups that are small enough that they go under the federal requirement to report for um, the Foreign Investment Disclosure Act requires reporting above a certain level. I'm not sure the exact number of acreage, but above a certain level or for a entity that is big enough. And so what China does is they purchase in these small parcels and then the U.S. Department of Agriculture sort of helps them out by not really finding even when there are, you know, larger purchases that are made that are not disclosed. Um, I believe the last time a entity was fined for not disclosing foreign investments was 2014. Wow. So why do you think, and I'll pose this to Carmel and to Gary, why do you think the, the government is not executing on these fines that they clearly have? So we establish a law, but if we don't enforce the law, the law is meaningless. Why are they not enforcing? Well, I mean, seems to me there's some nefarious intent, you know? I mean, the government is in cahoots so so my my so you're suggesting gary that maybe some of our politicians are owned by the chinese we talk about this as um elite capture well yeah well certainly so actually my i mean along with that my question was so we've got all these foreign interests you know buying up farmland which automatically just that statement is concerning but what are they doing 
with the farmland, right? Like, are they still are they farming, farming it, or are they changing? Or what's happening? Yeah, that's a good question. To the farmland. Yeah, well, I, what we do know is that it is often purchased close to military bases. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, there was a, a rather large purchase in Texas recently that was n- near an Air Force base. And what they're doing with that land is maybe less concerning. It's concerning if it's what, you know. <laughs> you think they're going to plant some <laughs> corn next to the runway? <laughs> if they're planting soybeans, honestly, I'm concerned about that anyway. But if they um, are planting it next to, or, you know, if they're they're in this proximity to an Air Force base, then that's concerning on a whole a whole nother level. Yeah, absolutely. And And I think everybody knows, we don't have to say it, it's pretty deliberate strategy to buy the land that's next to Air Force bases because there's espionage, right? I have a friend I know. He sat in a meeting with Chinese military, and the Chinese military was sucking all of the data off of his Apple Watch. This is their culture. It's what they do. It's what they've always done. They've stolen, and they recreate, and they develop. I always say, Gary, back to your point about sometimes if there's any— glimmer of hope, at least temporarily, is that what the Chinese Communist Party is making is not of good quality. I always say, okay, if the whole world capitulates to Chinese Communist rule, then who's going to create the stuff that they have stolen for all of these years? Right. They're not originators, right? They are a derivative culture. Yep. And well, yeah, we've, yeah, we've seen that time and time again. I'm, I don't want to, I'm just thinking here, I'm brain, I'm not, I don't want to get too far off topic from the right. farmland so, piece, but you mentioned like you're really concerned about our food supply. In in tandem with that, one thing I've been personally noticing and looking into is the the possibility of these mRNA vaccines coming into our food supply. And in fact, interestingly here in Tennessee, and I don't know, it doesn't seem to be going so well. It's not getting a lot of support, but we we have a bill that would require any farmer or manufacturer that's that's selling meat from a live carcass from an animal that was treated with mRNA, that food would would have to carry a label saying this food was treated with mRNA vaccines. I'm doubtful, unfortunately, that we'll actually get that passed in Tennessee. But that's a big concern. Are you researching that? Are you seeing like like that sort of coming into our food supply in terms of mRNA? I don't know if China has yeah. anything to do with that. I don't know. <laughs> Just curious. Now, I'm sorry. No, um, I'm not as familiar with the mRNA vaccines for animals. But I will say that we do have a problem in the United States of the way that we report what is in our food. And just to give you one example of that, if you look at the label on a can of sparkling water, it will say two ingredients. It will say water and natural flavors. We are not told what those natural (laughs) flavors are. It's, you know, whatever you taste that, whether it's the limoncello LaCroix that has this almost creamy flavor to it, we are not told what that's coming from. Those manufacturers are not required to tell us what's in there. And there are other examples of this. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar with the proposal, but I think anything that increases transparency and in what we're actually getting in our food is, is absolutely important. Yeah. I've always been told that the word in terms of food, at least the word natural actually has no legal definition. <sighs> and That's it, correct. it used to be, and I don't know what the current rules are, but you, 
you only had to have 4% of a particular juice in order for them to be able to label it as 100%. Juice. Yeah. <laughs> and that it's obviously just a... Um, because four percent and one hundred percent is the same. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a legal it's, so it's a close. definition. It's semantics, right? Carmel, there's another point that I wanted to address, and that is the bigger issue of farming. When I grew up, Titusville, Pennsylvania, half of my friends were farmers. They got up at five in the morning. They were exhaust. You could see their exhaustion when they got to school. Most of them were very average students, not because they were not smart but because their commitment to their family farm was required of them by their parents. They got up and they milked cows. If they didn't have a, a milk farm operation, they were still required to work long hours. They went home from school. They didn't participate in band or in sports because they had to go back to the farm. And you, there's a part in your article where you talk about this change in dynamic of how farms are even looked at in America, right? It's not, we live in a tech age where most people think, why do I worry about my food supply, right? I go to the grocery store. What's the danger of that thinking, and and how has that changed farm ownership and farm operations and security, real food security? Oh, it's a big danger. I think the biggest one, and one that I talk about in the article, is the aging out of farmers. Um, The average age is over 65, I believe it's 68. Um, Oh, jeez. Wow. And you know, that, that on its own, you, you look at that and you're like, okay, well, what's going to happen when those people are not with us anymore? And you're right. I think the, the people who are raised as farmers are obviously, you know, we have stats on this, that number is declining, but it's also a cultural kind of milieu that goes with that of, you know, I, I have no connection with where my food is coming from. Mm-hmm. I have no knowledge of how to get it. For the majority of people, unlike you, Gary, they're not finding out how they can get, you know, their meat from two blocks down the road or two miles down mm-hmm. the road um, and would have no idea how to do that if they um, were, were in a situation in which they needed to. So there is there is a bigger problem with China buying our land, and that is that every acre that goes to China is not going to someone in America. And then compounding that, the more, you know, we have a shortage of available farmland that just makes it impossible for these young people to be able to afford to even get into that market. Even if they're, you know, interested, they think that this is an important thing to do. They think that we need to have an attachment to the soil. We need to understand where our food is coming from. Even if they want to do that, they have to have enormous capital to be able to do that. And part of that is because of the foreign investments in our in our agricultural land. Yeah, just think about that for a second. America used to be a land of farmers, right? And we know that over the years, because of technology, the, the amount of farmers has reduced to something like 2%, right, of America feeds the other 98%, mm-hmm. or feeds all 100%, including that 2%. Well, in conjunction with that and the change of technology is you have corporate ownership of farms buying out farms for huge sums of money. So you have a 68-year-old farmer who might want to retire, and he thinks, I can take care of my family for generations with this money, not thinking about the long-term implications for his country, right? And I understand the conflict for that, but because it's happening in mass and strategically, the first thing that happens is these farms are purchased by corporate interests. Well, the corporate interests don't have anything 
in mind other than the bottom line. So when a Chinese Communist Party investor comes in to buy it from the corporate interest, you're one step further from any accountability or any pause that an American family farmer might have with a Chinese buyer. Unless we forget, and our audience knows this, but I, I think it's always good to remind us, there's no such thing as an individual or a private business in China. Every business in China mm-hmm. has to be owned in one shape or form by by the Communist Party and has to submit information as a requirement of, of their license and their certificate to operate business. So not only because uh, I've seen and Carmel makes reference to this in the article, I've seen some people also defend this theory defend their position, well, it's not a big deal because we're only allowing individual Chinese citizens, right, to buy property. Well, it's becoming one and the same. Why do you think Chinese citizens or small Chinese, quote-unquote, private businesses are interested in buying your farmland, and what are they going to do to it? I think we're really at risk of losing total control of our food supply, and people don't realize how close we are to that. Well, maybe the most important question, so... We recognize there's a problem, but my brain's going to, okay, what do we do to fix it? This came across my feed the other day, and I, I didn't read the article. I'm, I'm knee-deep in legislation right now, but there, there was – there's talk about – and I don't know how this process works, but if, if you declare – uh, you know, a foreign entity or agency or whatever, you know, an, an enemy, right? And they own all of this land. Can we not, do we do we take it back? Do we seize it back? Like, how do you, what's the process like of seizing all of these assets owned by foreign investors and or foreign nations? Like that's, so to me, I'm asking myself, okay, well, we've gotten ourselves in this predicament. What What's the fix? How do you fix that? Right, because it would appear... And Carmel, you can tell us if we're off base, but it would appear that all of the legislation that we're seeing is talking about prospective purchases, right? Stopping it from happening today and tomorrow and into the future. But now what do we do about all the farms and other land that was acquired in this time when we were asleep? Am I right? How do we get the 35 million acres back? (laughs) <laughs> no, it's it's. I think it's the most important question because what we have here is a question of sovereignty. Who does this land belong to? Do we even have the right as a nation to sell our land to what is effectively another nation? It's not, like you're saying, it's not an individual in any real sense. And so, yeah, what, what does it look like to take it back? I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't imagine that it's going to happen based on how our country has progressed. But it is... It's a conundrum, right? Because you can't – do you buy it back? Do you – Yeah, like yeah. that's kind of do my question. Like do, do we owe them something? I don't know what that looks or like. Or can I just take it back? Yeah, it's exactly what right. I – Well, even uh, – so here's an interesting connection to the past. You know, Thomas Jefferson and other presidents, Jackson and whatnot, they're always given a hard time. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't be criticized for things like the Trail of Tears. But – Jefferson in particular, if you go back to reading Thomas Jefferson's notes on the state of Virginia from 1781, there's an abundance of evidence that most of the land that we acquired was acquired. We purchased it from those. You you hear all this story all the time, Gary, about, oh, we ran them off their land and we stole their land from them. That's not entirely true. A lot of it was purchased. So, yeah, I I don't think it's particularly 
problematic if if we have to buy it back, although I would say under issues of national security and if you're under war footing, buying shouldn't even be an option. It should be, no, we're seizing this just as you would in a criminal matter, right? If a criminal has assets that he's used to defraud the government, the government comes in and takes those assets, doesn't he? Yeah. Do, don't they? So why couldn't we borrow a similar strategy in theory for dealing with this on the basis of foreign investment. So we actually have, I'm, I'm literally reading it as we're talking, we have an interesting bill that's been filed in the Tennessee legislature by Jay Reedy and uh, Senator Frank Nicely. It's HB 40. And it actually, so again, my, I haven't done the research, like, so what nations would this apply to? It actually prevents any foreign nation that restricts land ownership of U.S. citizens, of non-citizens. It would forbid foreign nationals from that nation from purchasing and owning real property in the state of Tennessee. So it sounds like they have borrowed, for, I think that's what the Florida legislation, is, or at least one piece of Florida okay. legislation is. So that's good. It's, it's a step so we, in the right so direction. So we actually have that filed here in, in Tennessee. Uh, it's uh, definitely a step in the right direction. It's a little bit too soft and slow for my taste, but it's it's a head, headed in the right direction. So I'm guessing would that would that apply to China? Like, can it can a United States citizen go into China and buy property? <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't think so. Because even what see this is the this is the so if this bill were to pass, a a, a Chinese national could not buy land. That's in right. Tennessee. There's there's no Communist Party influence in that regard. Right. Yeah. Not only can a U.S. citizen not own land in China. But the companies like Apple and Microsoft and everyone else who does business in China, they are subordinate to all the Chinese influence, right? When they go into a country, they have to agree to censorship. They have to agree to abide by all the Communist Party's restrictions, all of which are historically anti-American. So they don't have any controls of those of those things, and they don't really own that land, right? They're using it. They've got they rent. They they have manufacturing facilities. But at the end of the day, if the Chinese Communist Party wants to come in and say bye, you're gone. They're gone. Why shouldn't we have a similar approach in America? Yeah. Well, at least in Tennessee. So Carmel, any, since Carmel did say we were what Tennessee was the greatest the state greatest, in the union. Yeah, absolutely. We do appreciate that. She was born here, so she's entitled to say that. That's true. Maybe because I wasn't born here, I can talk about. Not that I was born in Florida, but <laughs> I digress. Carmel, is there anything we didn't cover uh, or ask you about this article or your views on this issue or concerns that you would like our audience to hear before we let you go and take care of my lovely granddaughter? You know, the only thing I think I would emphasize, which we, we sort of talked about, but I think it's probably the most important piece of this, is the reporting problem of the USDA not fining people when they are you know, foreign nationals, foreign interests, purchasing land in the United States that by law should be at least mentioned. We have a proposal in the U.S. House of Representatives that was, I want to say it was brought up in October, last October, that has, you know, effectively tried to hit this issue again and say, hey, we need to be reporting um, on foreign investments in agriculture and in land in general. But that proposal means nothing if it's not enforced. If the U.S. Department of Agriculture is not finding people who are not <laughs> listing their disclosures. <laughs> I've got a baby taking my glasses. That was awesome. Uh, then 
you know, it, all of that is meaningless. So what I think we need more than anything else is reform in the U.S. Department of Agriculture and accountability there. Well, wonderful. Thank you for your time, Carmel. I do appreciate very much your coming on and giving us not only your perspective, but allowing uh, your father to enjoy a little extra time with his granddaughter. Yeah, just just so the audience really knows what's going on here, <laughs> uh, not to minimize anything we're talking about, but we've got a Zoom screen in front of us, and I can see Kevin's ha- has left the building. He's, <laughs> he's just watching this yes. awesome little grandbaby over there. Well, she lives so far away, thing. I don't get to see her enough, so... <laughs> Awesome. All right, Carmel, thank well, you thank very you much. Me. Carmel Richardson, uh, contributing editor at the American Conservative. So, Gary, that's that's really good for me to know that this was a new piece of legislation just introduced this yeah. this upcoming session. Yeah, just filed. So it's been I think it's been assigned to committee in the House, still waiting on a committee assignment in the Senate. But this is it's you know, Senator Frank Nicely is an interesting guy, and I'm I'm thankful that we have someone in our legislature that's really thinking about this stuff. So all from the same guy, Senator Frank Nicely, he's he is the this is all his legislation right now. He is the guy that's filed a bill that would create a sovereign state bullion depository. Mm. He's filed a bill that would make gold and silver coinage actual legal tender in the state of Tennessee and require it to be accepted as legal tender. He is also the senator that has filed the bill I mentioned earlier about requiring the labeling of any food that's been treated with mRNA vaccines, and also the senator that has filed this piece of legislation that would forbid any foreign nationals from owning property in Tennessee from a country that forbids U.S. citizens from owning property in their country. So um, clearly the guy's paying attention. Yeah, I was just going to say it sounds like he's thinking about the important issues. It also sounds like he's listening to his constituents— Yes. Right. Rather than to commercial interests or hospitals, pharmaceuticals. 100%. Yeah. Do you know how many co-sponsors there are on that bill about China property? So the House has two co-sponsors and no co-sponsors in the Senate. So I know these things take long, right? Sometimes you go through repeated efforts, session after session. But what I am encouraged about is that they are thinking about it. Someone is thinking about it and talking about it, which shows you the influence of states like Florida and Texas. The fact that the Heritage Foundation put out that um, article that we've been working our way through with regard to what states can do, even while the federal government either dithers or in areas where the federal government does not have the reach or the ability to impact. Yeah. When I think about legislation right now, what's going on in the state, I, I always picture in my mind Well, I would love to build a physical wall, quite honestly, but like building a wall around the state of Tennessee, you know, and using legislation to build that that protection around our state that would shield us from some sort of global, you know, food disaster or uh, monetary disaster or whatever. We have to start thinking of ways. And I tell people this all the time, like the federal government's not coming to save you. Right. Right. And we can't control the White House and all the things that the. These freedoms and these securities will be found, and rightfully so, within the states. And folks across the state of Tennessee need to be reaching out to their state representatives and state senators and educating them on these issues, Um, especially now when we've got, you know, legislation like this filed. These men and women need to know why it's so important that they support this legislation. You know, it's—this is going to be our ability to withstand— 
these future global pressures that are inevitably coming upon us. Wouldn't you say <clears throat> you said that the U.S. government, the federal government is not going to come to save you, right? Yeah. Or something like that. Isn't it even more true that actually the federal government has declared us their enemies? <laughs> so we, even more important why we need yeah, yeah, why we need protection at state level, at local level, right? County that's, level. That's true. Let me clarify. It's not yeah, it's not only protecting us from foreign interests. I mean, we are literally having to protect ourselves from the overreach of an ever-growing federal government that seems to be an, an all-consuming fire on everything it touches. Did you see, on that point, did you see this week that there is a doctor in Utah that's being prosecuted by the federal government for actually doing what in the days of the Underground Railroad would have been celebrated? I did see that. He was, uh, yeah, he trashed over like a thousand vaccine doses Almost or something 2000. like that. Almost 2,000. Yeah, like 1,900. He was giving saline shots instead of the vaccine. Yes, yeah. so he's being accused, as you would, as you could imagine, the federal government says that he has defrauded the government of these vaccine, quote, vaccines, right? These mRNAs. But save the people. Yeah, he's saving children. But they, of course, have advanced the argument that he's put children at risk. Oh, It's yeah. under the old law. Oh. But they've claimed that he's— He's put them at risk of not getting myocarditis. Yeah. They've claimed—their claim is that he has taken money, and that that's actually completely false. What he has done is he spent his own money— to let parents and families know that if they need protection, he was willing to dump out this mRNA to and for the parents who wanted their children. So the saline thing is interesting. Some parents said, will you inject my child with saline so that they don't go to school and and tell their friends that they have been um, that that they didn't take plausible the shot, deniability, right? So the children are innocent to it. The parents have <laughs> right. done their role of protecting the children, yep. right? And so now this is being targeted by the federal government as being somehow evil when the guy has saved at least nineteen hundred potential myocarditis, strokes, deaths, and things like that. And now he is subject to a potential five years in prison for protecting liberty. Wow, mansion in heaven. Yeah. So need to pray for him. I don't know anything about him other than what that article said this week, but we live in difficult times, don't we? We do. Any codas to add? I know we spent a lot of time on China today, so I'm I'm not going to go any further into the China cabinet, but do you have any codas to add, Gary, or shall we cut this one? Well, I mean, we're, we're in full swing uh, in the legislative session. Be paying attention to everything going on. Uh, when this episode airs in the middle of next week, it's a big week. Um, it, it's, by the way, the first week that Bills will be heard in committee, so we're we're done with organization and setting up committees and whatnot. And um, right off the bat, we've got some big issues being tackled. Uh, SB one and HB one, which is the bill that deals with the uh, child mutilation procedures, the gender affirming surgeries, as they call mm -hmm. it, over at Vanderbilt and uh, other places around the state. That bill is going to be heard in the Senate and the House uh, in committee next week. And also SB3 and HB9 uh, run by Jack Johnson and Chris Todd, which are the bills that deal with the uh, drag queen uh, yes. events happening in public parks around the state. Both of those bills, all four of those bills, when you think about the House and the Senate, are mm -hmm. all going to be heard next week. So you can expect at your Capitol lots of crazy shenanigans. Yeah. The leftists are going to be losing their minds, filling the rooms and the hallways, lots of protests going on. 
and I'm just going to say this. I actually I had a great conversation this morning with Representative Chris Todd talking about the bill. Really appreciate, you know, what he's doing. And he he's like, look, Gary, I'm I'm just I'm just telling you like it is. I I haven't received any myself, but I have personal knowledge that Jack Johnson's office, all of his staff, his family have all received some pretty intense death threats. And all of those things have been turned over to the TBI. So, you know, it, we're, we're coming into a, a really big spiritual battle, cultural battle that's going to be hitting the state house next week. Isn't it interesting on that point, if you think about our frustration with Republican legislatures who won't advance or champion liberty, mm-hmm. at least not near to the degree that we would require as citizens, and yet nobody on our side would ever even think of doing such a thing as as threatening, right? Right. And yet the Republicans that that won't advance this, they always claim that we are the crazies. But when they do something as basic as protecting human life and anything that is an ancillary to human life, including protecting against these um, transgender surgeries, immediately the left reveals who they really are. That should incur— I, that would embolden me. If someone is threatening my life because of doing something like that, that would let me know that I'm over the target and I'm doing the Lord's work. 100%. So they ought to be encouraged for that. Yep. So look, I mean, asking some Tennesseans here, keep your keep your state house and your, your uh, state senate in prayer. They're going to need support. And, you know, we're going to be putting out some some action alerts via email, but we're, we're asking Tennessee to show up. We've got to fill these rooms and show our supports and emails, make phone calls. And so it's tis the season. It's about to get, uh, you know, little intense. And there's there's going to be bills dealing with, you know, religious exemptions and vaccines and trying to take that beyond COVID and protect people's individual liberties to make their own health care decisions. You know, some of the stuff we mentioned earlier with mRNA. There's lots of stuff going on in education. There's there's it's it's big year, but we'll see. We'll see what we get out of this legislature. I think there's one more thing you should tell our audience if they didn't get the email. And I know that sometimes people get the email and they don't listen to the podcast or they don't get the social stuff and they they do listen to the podcast. But for those who didn't get the email or didn't have time to read it, you did something awesome yesterday. You and Amay from Tennessee Stands went and took this awesome document. Tell tell our audience what you did, because that inspired me. Yeah. So look, a lot of you listening to this podcast, I'm certain, uh, participated in the 2023 legislative survey that we sent out late last fall. We got over 3,200 responses on that survey. So thank you. That that makes it a very, you know, legitimate Mm-hmm. Um, legislative sir, on a, on a variety of issues, you know how to. And it's primarily conservatives. It, it should be read as a survey of uh, conservative voters in Tennessee. Ninety one percent of folks that took the survey marked themselves as somewhat or very conservative. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a conservative voice. But you know, on issues Second Amendment, marriage, election integrity, medical freedom, talking about all of those things, we printed those up uh, really, really nice in a, in a nice packet. And had some uh, – Amay, who works here with, uh, with us at Tennessee Stands and some volunteers, went up to the Capitol yesterday and laid those on the desks of your legislators. So the point is there, don't let them tell you that they didn't know. Yeah, that's – You know, oh, we didn't know how you felt. On the, no, you did. Yeah. We, we put it right on your desk. Here's what we think about this issue. No, that's great. Every single – so that's how many? There's – Well, uh, well – uh, 
fully transparent. There's 132 legislators. There's roughly about 100 Republicans. Um, we only put them okay, on the so Republicans' desks. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> the, I, I can promise you the Democrat contingent is really not interested in yeah. our survey. No, I, I, I'm so glad you did that. I learned about that yesterday when you sent your email. I didn't even know that. Here I am, chairman of the board, and I didn't know that that was going to happen yesterday, but I was excited. I thought it looked really good. The impact is great. So thank you for doing that, Gary. Congratulations for doing that. Um, that, that was really awesome. So I think to, to head out to put a nice little, um, what do you, what, what you've got, a, a, a call and an answer, I think we should go out with some music that is fitting. I can't wait. Yeah, there we go. All right. Now this one, I, I know. Yeah, this is, do you know who wrote this? Oh, Kevin. No. Harold Faltemeyer. Who is... He was an 80s era. He did lots of instrumental stuff. I mean, you're in the music industry. You know these things. Yeah, but then I was in high school. <laughs> or graduate. No, I was... Sorry, I was I was in college, but I'd just gotten out of high school. This just makes me feel like we're ready to go kick some butt. I know. Isn't that awesome? It's so uplifting. Thanks, Gary. Thank you for all of our audience. We really appreciate your support. Thank you, Carmel Richardson. Absolutely. Gary, yep. See you next week. All right. See you. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. (laughs) ¶¶